What's up everyone, my name is Paul DeWeeland and I welcome you back to another episode of the Year of Plenty podcast. So if you've listened to some of my other episodes before, you know that one of my missions is to create awareness and appreciation uh, for food and drink, especially, you know, real food and drink, not that super processed stuff that most of us are eating these days. And, you know, essentially, I want to help you foodies out there feed your curiosity and expand your knowledge around real food. So I know it's been a while since the last episode. I know I said I would be, you know, trying to release one episode a month. And in the future, I definitely want to, you know, grind out more episodes in a month than just one. But uh, today's episode is another solo episode, so it's just me, no guest this time. Still, I'm super excited to share uh, this episode with you guys because uh, the information is something I've been interested in and researching for a while, and I think others could really benefit from from uh, knowing about this. So, um, without much, you know, further ado. This episode is all about pesticide residues on produce. Yes, that is a thing, and you know, I don't believe too many people are aware of it. More specifically, though, I'll be talking about the major categories of pesticides, how uh, pesticides residues are controlled by uh, several different government agencies here in the U.S., and uh, most importantly, I'll be providing you with some tips and tricks that you can, you know, easily use to get rid of a lot of those unwanted pesticide residues on your produce before you start cooking it. So in today's world, you know, most of the fresh fruits and vegetables that we buy come from giant conventional farms. And, you know, over the last decades, pesticide use has skyrocketed. And I dare to say that the majority of produce that we buy at stores are grown with or is grown with the um, help of pesticides. Now, on the one hand, you know... This has allowed farmers to deal with a lot of nasty pests and uh, allowed them to really increase their production. However, that doesn't come without consequences. And one of these consequences that I think is often overlooked, you know, is a pesticides residue on produce. So before I'm going to get into the nitty gritty details of pesticide residues and what you can do about it, uh, let's talk about pesticides in general. So what are they? Well, you know, most of you listening probably know quite well what pesticides are, uh, but I think, you know, it's still important to kind of go over and talk about it a little bit. Pesticides are chemicals that are mostly used to target and kill insects, plants, and fungi. So pesticides is like the big category, and some of them are called herbicides, and herbicides are chemicals that are used to kill unwanted plants, like weeds, for example. And then there are insecticides, which are, you know, intended to exterminate insects and other arthropods. Finally, the last group of pesticides are called fungicides, which, you know, are used to kill fungi like mildews or molds. Many pesticides are directly applied to the plants, usually, you know, through spraying. And as a result, these pesticides leave residues on the plants or, you know, go into the soil as runoff. And there are even some that actually enter the plants, you know, which means that they are not just on the surface of the produce, but they actually enter the actual plant through the skin or the roots. Now, these pesticides can, you know, also get into you, our bodies, our human bodies, through many different ways. And the big elephant in the room is whether these pesticide residues that are found in our food and that we consume are enough or high enough uh, to, you know, have a negative effect on our health. And honestly, you know, common sense tells me that consuming pesticides 
must have some effect on us, especially since, by definition, pesticides are intended to basically kill living organisms. So personally, I'm a little bit skeptical about them. And the reason for my skepticism is that back in Germany, my father's friend actually told me that he took his dog on a walk one day uh, out in the fields, you know. And this was after um, a farmer had just got done spraying pesticides on the fields. Well, you know, little did he know that this walk around these fields would kind of turn into a nightmare for him that night because uh, his dog, who, you know, ran through the crop, crop fields, woke my friend's dad up in the middle of the night um, with whining and, you know, kind of barking and stuff. And um, when my dad's friend got downstairs, he noticed that his dog was laying on the ground in, in severe pain and bleeding out of his nose and coughing up blood and stuff like that. And, you know, he took his dog to the vet and the vet said that, um, you know, his dog got into contact with an extreme amount of pesticides and that this caused this reaction in his body. So, you know, now I know this story is kind of messed up and um, it happened a while back. But, you know, it really stuck with me. And ever since then, I've become a little suspicious about pesticides and their uh, effects on living organisms and even larger organisms like us humans. So that's why I think it's important that we're conscious about, you know, pesticide residues in our food. And I think it's something that shouldn't be ignored. But thankfully, you know, there's several government agencies in the U.S. that really do just that. They are conscious about this problem or potential problem, and they try to do something about it. So what they try is to minimize our exposure to these pesticides from foods. And there are three big agencies in the U.S. that work on reviewing and improving the safety standards when it comes to pesticide residues. The big one that's calling most of the shots is the Environmental Protection Agency, or the EPA. The EPA is actually responsible for approving pesticides for the market. But uh, before they, uh, you know, allow a pesticide to be used on crops, the EPA determines a maximum legal residue limit, which they call a tolerance. And you've maybe heard that before. So, you know, if, a, if foods are tested for pesticides and the results show levels of pesticide contamination above this tolerance that they set, the food or crop uh, must be removed from the market completely. This is where the other agencies come in. So the United States Department of Agriculture, whom I've talked about on this podcast before, it's also called the USDA, and the Food and Drug Administration, or in short, the FDA, uh, continually test the pesticide residues on a variety of foods here in the U.S. And they then provide this information to the EPA. So for example... The USDA has a pesticide data program, or the PDP, which is a giant database that you know anyone can access online. And I'll have a link for this in the show notes. This pesticide data program is responsible for testing a bunch of foods for pesticide residues, and it is the most comprehensive database on pesticide contamination available to us at the moment. And then on the other hand, there's also the FDA, like I said, which has a similar program going on. But in addition to, you know, domestic foods, the FDA also tests Im imported foods and crops. And by law, they're required to enforce the pesticide residue tolerances set by the EPA. So the EPA kind of uses this data 
from the USDA and the FDA to periodically review the pesticide reg registrations and tolerances. And, you know, they do this to keep everything up to date and safe. Now, personally, I'm very happy to know that, you know, there's actually some serious thought behind this and some work going into pesticides use and uh, contamination. And it's also good to know that agencies are worried about the potential risks to human health and also the environment. And the even better news are that as of now, the EPA and the USDA say that the fruits and vegetables that we buy here in the US are safe. However, there are critics. Some scientists uh, believe that there is not enough data to back up this claim. Others believe that the way the EPA sets the actual pesticide residue tolerances is not sufficient you know, to rule out any negative or long-term consequences to our health. And honestly, some of these critics have a valid point. For example, I think it's kind of strange that USDA tests for pesticide residues after food has been prepared to be eaten. So when testing for pesticide residues, uh, the fruits and veggies are thoroughly washed and some are even peeled. Now, I get why, you know, they're trying to do this. I'm guessing they're cleaning the food first uh, in order to mimic the actual food preparation that people at home would do before eating. But um, I don't think everyone really considers pesticide residues. You know, I know many people that never clean their vegetables before cooking them. So I kind of wish the USDA would test the produce without cleaning and preparing it first, or even both. That would be kind of nice to see, you know. I'm, I'd be interested to see what the differences are. Now, there is another caveat here. It is good to know that the U.S. government agencies assure us that the current pesticide residues in fruits and vegetables on the market are safe. But one should also consider that, you know, children might be at higher risk of being negatively affected than adults. According to the National Pesticide Information Center, quote, Infants and children are more sensitive to the toxic effects of pesticides than adults, end quote. And this is actually something I read on many different, um, in many different articles and papers. Because children have a different metabolism than adults, which means that their bodies cannot remove pesticides as well as an adult's body. And you know, pesticide exposure can actually affect a child's developmental stages, even before it's born. So, you know, this is something parents of young children should be aware of, in my opinion. And there's even an interesting study that uh, took 23 children between the age of 3 and 11 years who were consuming only conventional produce. Then they switched these children to an organic diet for five consecutive days, which, you know, isn't a ton. I wish they would have done it a little longer. But anyway... Next, they took urinary samples and tested for two types of pesticides. And the result was that after five days, the pesticide residues in the children's urine were pretty much non-existent or close to non-existent. The scientists then concluded that the dietary intake of these pesticides was the major source of uh, exposure. So yeah, it's definitely something to think about, especially if you have children. I also found a great article on all this by the Consumer Report. In this article, there are several studies that talk about some potential effects of pesticide exposure from food on our human health. So if you're interested, I urge you to check that one out. It'll be in the show notes, of course. 
The Consumer Report article also caught my attention because it mentions a survey which found that many Americans believe that there's a legal limit to how many different types of pesticides can remain on produce before it's sold. Well, according to the Consumer Report, that's not the case because many of the fruits and vegetables uh, that we test had two or more pesticides on them. And the potential problem with that is that we don't really know, you know, what effects or what effect the mixture of these pesticides could have on our human health. So as you can tell, this is a very difficult topic to find good answers on, mostly because, you know, there's two camps, like with most things. Um, one side saying, you know, there's no problem with pesticides on our food, and the other says, hey, we don't have enough studies, enough uh, methods of figuring out if these residues are actually harmful to us or not. But, you know... It's good that there is debate going on about this safety of pesticide residues in the science and health community. And I think it's important to think about because otherwise, you know, agencies like the EPA or USDA wouldn't make it a major concern. Now, if there are any experts on this out there, you know, listening right now, let me know because I'd love to hear what you think about this. Just leave a comment on the website or, I don't know, send me like a, a message on Instagram. I'm curious to hear your, uh, your opinions, so just let me know. Personally, though, I think that, you know, it can't harm to go out of my way and try to limit my own exposure to pesticide residues, even if the current levels are considered to be safe. Ultimately, we all should, you know, try to get the most out of our food, right? So trying to avoid ingesting potentially harmful chemicals on the way just makes a whole lot of sense to me. But if I freaked you out a little bit with this, don't fear. There's some ways around this because you definitely should not limit your intake of fruits and vegetables. Let's talk about the things you can do to potentially get rid of some of these pesticide residues. First of all, it is good to know that there seem to be some foods that have more pesticide residues than others especially when it com uh, comes to non-organic produce. I found an absolutely awesome resource for you guys from the Environmental Working Group. You might have heard of this organization as the EWG. The EWG's mission is to use public information to protect public health and the environment. And that is exactly what they're trying to do every year by releasing helpful resources to the public. Every year since 2004... The EWG has released a shopper's guide. It ranks 48 fruits and vegetables based on their pesticide contamination. And the information comes from thousands of foods tested for the pesticides by the USDA, which, you know, I talked about earlier. It's that PDP program. So this shopper's guide includes two lists I want to share with you guys today. The Clean 15 and the Dirty Dozen. Since you all probably want to know which fruits and vegetables had the most pesticide contamination, let me go over the dirty dozen first. So according to the EWG's Shopper's Guide, the 12 foods everyone should watch out for when it comes to pesticide residues are, and I'll do these in a, like an ascending order from worst to best. Number one is strawberries. Number two, spinach. Three, nectarines. Four, apples. 5 grapes, 6 peaches, 7 are cherries, 8 are pears, 9 are tomatoes, 10 is celery, 11 is potatoes, and 12 is sweet bell peppers. 
And they even added a uh, 13th produce, which are hot peppers, with the reasoning that they contain traces of highly toxic pesticides. So these are the dirty dozen that, out of all the foods tested, had the most pesticide contamination. Now don't give up on these foods, because you know in a bit I'll provide you with some tips and tricks to reduce this pesticide residue on your produce. But before that, let me go over the foods that you know the EWG Shopper Guide calls the Clean 15, and that they think is uh, you know safer to buy. All right, here are the Clean 15. Number one, avocados. Shout out to all my avocado lovers out there. I love avocados, and I'm happy that you're on this list. Two. Sweet corn. Number three, pineapples. Number four, cabbage. Number five, onions. Six, frozen sweet peas. Seven, papayas. Eight, asparagus. Nine, mangoes. Ten, eggplant. Eleven, honeydew melons. Twelve, kiwi. Thirteen, cantaloupe. Fourteen, cauliflower. And fifteen, broccoli. So I'm happy about most of these that are on this list because I love them. Like avocados, asparagus, broccoli, and cauliflower is something that I eat all the time. So these are the clean 15, meaning that these are the fruits and vegetables with the least amount of pesticides that the EWG found. Realize, though, that you know none of them had zero pesticide residues. These are just the ones with the least amount. Some of them really surprised me, though, like sweet corn, for example. You know, mostly because so much corn is grown by conventional farms in the U.S. and they use a whole lot of pesticides. But a lot of corn is, you know, used to feed animals, I guess. And also, if you have ever seen an ear of corn out in the field, you know that it's wrapped in several layers of leaf. And I'm guessing that this kind of makes it a little less likely for the pesticides, at least the ones that they're spraying, to actually reach the, the, the corn kernels. You know, it's kind of like a protective layer. And I know that other fruits and vegetables on the Clean 15 list, like the avocados, for example, are like that. Their thick skin kind of acts like a wall, a protective wall, which you know makes it uh, harder for pesticides to penetrate the part of the fruit or veggie that we actually eat. But anyways, buying the Clean 15 and avoiding the Dirty Dozen is you know, one way you might be able to reduce pesticide contamination. And I will link the lists and a video about um, these Dirty Dozen and Clean 15 lists uh, in the show notes for you guys to check out. Just, you know, look in the description of the podcast episode or check them out on my website at www.theyearofplenty.com. So if you're wondering what else you can do to reduce pesticide contamination, don't leave just yet. There are more things that can be done. First of all, you should always wash any kind of produce under running water for about 30 seconds to one minute. This has shown to remove a lot of pesticide residues, actually. And it will not only remove a lot of pesticide residues from the skin and whatnot, but also flush off dirt and bacteria. Now, you can also soak your produce in water for several minutes. I know a lot of people who do that. But make sure to also you know, rinse, rinse the produce afterwards because rinsing has an abrasive effect that is more effective than just soaking alone. What I like to use for leafy greens at least is a salad spinner. And I guess I use this for broccoli and, and other veggies as well. Um, a salad spinner makes it pretty easy to clean and uh, dry your produce. If you've never heard of one, go look it up on Google. It, it really is a kitchen essential that everyone should have. It's a game changer in my opinion. 
Now, produce with a tough consistency and hard skins, you know, should be scrubbed with a vegetable brush under running water. This will be much more effective than just holding them, you know, under the running water and rubbing them with your hands or whatnot. Other fruits and veggies that um, have a softer and a more delicate consistency, I'd say, and, and skin, of course, can, you know, just be rubbed with your hands while holding them under the running water. Here, a brush, you know, might it's not really recommended because it might damage whatever you're trying to clean. So I guess an example here would be a peach or berries. However, I do want to give you a tip when washing berries and mushrooms in uh, particular. You might be tempted to wash berries or mushrooms as soon as you buy them. Well, the problem with that is that it can lead to them spoiling a lot faster. So I'm sure you've all had berries, you know, go bad really fast in just like one or two days. Well, it's not a pretty sight. They get moldy and all that. And that is often because people wash them and then, you know, put them back into the fridge wet. So um, to avoid this, I would wait until you're actually going to eat them and then wash them. Now, mushrooms uh, are kind of the same as berries. It's also recommended that you wash them right before consumption. There's such a thing as a mushroom brush, though, that I want to point out. I had no idea this existed, but it is a thing indeed. So it's a little brush that you can use to scrub your mushrooms with. All right, next up. If you're trying to use the actual peel for something like a lemon zest, I personally would, you know, buy organic. This will just minimize the potential of consuming synthetic pesticide residues mostly because only a few synthetic pesticides are actually allowed to be used in the organic farming community. So just by buying organic produce, you're probably, I can't say this for sure, of course, because there's always contamination from other farms around them or some pesticides that are allowed to be used by organic farmers. But in general, buying organic, you know, is already going to limit the possible pesticide exposure. But either way, I would still wash them, you know, just to, to, just to be safe. Just washing under running water is always something you should do. Okay, the next recommendation I have is to peel your produce. Now, you know, this is only applicable to some veggies and uh, because some you actually want the peel on there and the peel has a lot of, you know, nutrients in it. But, for example, if you're preparing something like a lettuce or cabbage, like a leafy green, make sure to remo uh, remove or peel off the outer leaves. This is where most of the pesticides are often found. But after you know, peeling off the outer leaves, you still want to clean whatever you're, you know, going to eat with running water or with a salad spinner, as I said earlier. Now, using just plain water to clean uh, your produce works great in most cases. But, you know, research has shown that the most effective way to remove pesticide residues might be to soak your produce in a baking soda solution. I thought that was super interesting. So, this baking soda solution was found to be especially useful in removing pesticides from the surface of the skin of produce. And if you're willing to go the extra mile, you know, try making a solution of one teaspoon of baking soda and two cups of water. And you can obviously scale uh, that to whatever amount you need, depending on how many veggies or um, uh, fruits you're cleaning. So the researchers found that uh, at around two minutes, some of the pesticides began to come off. But it took up to 12 to 15 minutes to fully get rid of all the pesticides from the surface of the skin. Now, they only tested for a couple pesticides, but the ones they tested for all came off after around 12 to 15 minutes. So the longer, the better. And I'll link this study in the show notes for you guys if you, you don't want to check it out. 
Other uh, resources I found also mentioned that besides baking soda solutions, salt and vinegar solutions have also been found to help remove pesticides. So that might be another option for you guys. However, and this is a big however, realize that your fruits and vegetables that you buy might have a bunch of different pesticides residues on them. And you know, these steps that I've mentioned never 100% guarantee that all the pesticide residues will come off. But I do think it's worth taking these extra steps because, you know, they have been found to remove a lot of these pesticide residues. All right, that is all I have for you guys today. I hope this episode has given you some insight into pesticide residues because that was kind of the point of this. I wanted to make you aware of uh, this possible pesticide contamination that we might be getting from our food and that, you know, pesticide residues are a real thing and that... Uh, I hope most of you will now proactively clean some of your veggies and, and fruits and use some of the tips I've provided just to, you know, reduce these uh, this exposure to the pesticide residues. So just, yeah, if I mean, if you're interested in this, I would just recommend making it a uh, part of your cooking routine, make it a habit. I'm currently working on it too. I, I still don't, you know, I'm not 100% cleaning everything all the time. Um but it's something I'm working on and it's something I'm making or making part of my cooking routine. And I hope that, you know, doing these steps will reduce my exposure to these pesticide residues. Now, all the articles and studies I have mentioned will be in the show notes and on my website. So just type in www.theyearofplenty.com and um, they'll be, uh, you know, on on the website, there's a little link on the top that says podcasts. Just click on that. It'll take you uh, to the most recent podcast episode and the show notes. So it's really easy. Um, you'll find all the links right there. If you enjoyed this episode and were able to learn something new, please share it with your family and friends on uh, your social media. Also, consider giving the show a five-star review in your podcast app. I hope to provide useful information to all you curious foodies out there and you know provide you with some real uh, value. And your five-star reviews make it easier for new listeners to find this show. So please do that. And you can also subscribe to the show uh, on your podcast app. If you don't know how to do that, just go to my website, www.theyearofplenty.com slash subscribe. There I've created a uh, subscribe page for you guys, which makes it super easy for any of you listeners to um, you know, subscribe and on whichever platform you prefer. It's just a click of a button, literally. So subscribing uh, will automatically update your podcast feeds when I release new episodes, You know, which, which makes it very convenient for all of us. You can also get updates by following the show on Twitter or Facebook. Just type in at uh, the year of plenty in the search bar. Uh, I'm also on Instagram. My name is at Poli Wieland, just one word. So thank you all so much for listening and supporting the show. I'm very, very grateful for anyone who takes the time to listen and, you know, wants to learn more about food, especially the real food. And, you know, I have some cool interviews with other curious foodies just like you guys and me planned for the future. Those uh, will be recorded and released next year in the new year. Until then, I hope all of you have a wonderful Christmas and a happy new year. Bye-bye. Much love. See you soon.